Hello, everybody. This is Donna Gates with Body Ecology Living. Thank you very much for joining our podcast today. I'm really excited about this interview because it's one I've wanted to do for several years, maybe maybe longer than that. It's with Dr. William Shaw, who's a PhD and a brilliant, uh, well, he just has an amazing understanding of nutrition and the body, biochemistry. And he's a great teacher, too, because when he explains things, it's so easy to understand. So I know you're going to enjoy this interview today. As I mentioned, Dr. Shaw is an innovative researcher. He's been dedicated to an understanding of biochemical influences on our health and on wellness for many years. His background is in biochemistry and toxicology. He's an expert in gut health, which is one of my favorite subjects, as you all know. And he's also the founder and director of the Great Plains Laboratory. Some of this information that we're going to talk about today, you can actually obtain by going to the Great Plains Laboratory. They're in Kansas. Um, He has specialized for a really long time in psychiatric disorders, including autism. And he's made a huge contribution to that community, helping parents get their kids well and helping healthcare professionals understand what's really going on with these kids. This topic that we're going to talk about today, though, is oxalates. And, you know, you've probably heard me talk about this off and on for uh, years, really. It's one of those topics that just isn't on anybody's radar screen. And when I look out into the world of other people talking about, you know, health uh, and diets, I see that people are eating a lot of um, oxalates in their diet without realizing that they can be, that can be a dangerous thing to do. Right now, for example, well, first, first there was the vegan, uh, raw vegan diet where everybody was doing a lot of, of course, agave and honey, but also lots of nuts and seeds for their protein because they were vegan. And then that didn't work so well for people. So we've gone, we sort of swung the other way. People are into the paleo diet now, but of course they're still eating a lot of nuts and seeds. You know, they're having smoothies in the morning. They're putting almond milk in their smoothies and usually things like spinach and and, and, and they're eating a lot of chocolate. You know, it's like everybody, both groups are really into chocolate. And those foods are very high in oxalates, so we're going to get into that in more detail. And I'd like to start off by introducing you to Dr. Shaw. Now, he wrote an article recently, and you can go and read this article on the Internet it's, or on his website, actually. It's called The Green Smoothie Fat. This road to health hell is paved with toxic oxalate crystals. So here we go, and welcome, Dr. Shaw. Thank you, Donna. It's a great pleasure to uh, be talking to you today. Well, we've met many, many years ago at an uh, autism conference, so I've actually heard about you for, I mean, besides then, I've always followed your career and all the things you were doing. But, um, gosh, when you wrote that article in Townsend Letter, I just wanted to do backflips. I was so excited because, first of all, you're an expert in this and people will take it seriously. And secondly, it's bringing attention at least to the community of people that read the Townsend letter that oxalates are not very, uh, I mean, they can be potentially unhealthy for us. And so I'd like to start off by saying, what are oxalates? Yes. So oxalates are crystals. They're, They're molecules, very small molecules. And they are extremely acidic. So they're the most acidic uh, organic acid. They're so acidic that your neighborhood uh, car repair shop pours them into rusty radiators to, uh, to clean the rust off of them. So, uh, so you can see they're extremely 
uh, corrosive, and they have the also the ability to bind metals of all sorts, which is one of the reasons that they can be uh, cause extreme toxicity because they trap uh, toxic elements and keep them in the body. So one of those uh, toxic elements might be mercury and lead? Yes. So they have an extreme affinity for mercury and, and lead. So even if you have just a tiny amount of mercury and lead in your body, it will bind to oxalates preferentially. But it, once it binds to the oxalates, it's not removed. The oxalates come out of solution. They form a precipitate, which then forms in the tissues and traps those toxic metals. And it could be trapping them for years or, or decades. So one of the angles in the uh, having to do with aging is not that your body isn't working as well. It's just that the longer you live, the more crap you accumulate. And the oxalates are one of the things that leads to that uh, trapping and accumulation of uh, toxic metals that, that can build up for years uh, in your body. Well, the, you know, the confusing thing is that I think at this point, most of us would agree that a diet that's rich in plant foods has certain benefits, like you have more fiber, which is going to feed the, you know, it's good for the bacteria, and they produce more butyric acid, which is healthy for the gut. And, you know, they have lots of vitamins and minerals in them, and, and they're more alkaline-forming. And so so oxalates are in the plant food kingdom, right? That's right. And so as a joke, I sometimes call the name of my talk the revenge of the carnivores because you you have some of the people who adopt a vegetarian diet and become kind of high and mighty and and you know and looking down at these poor people that are still eating meat uh, as their primary source of uh, protein so and as a matter of fact there is no perfect diet. It just does not exist. If it existed, people would probably live to be a thousand years old. And so far, I haven't seen many in that uh, category. So virtually every single food on the planet has some negative uh, factor associated uh, with it. And one of the challenge for people is trying to find the diet that is best for their particular lifestyle and their body's biochemistry and their uh, wallet as well. So all those things go go into the uh, a decision of, of what might be best for my own personal diet. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And, and your body ecology is actually way more than a diet. It's based on seven principles. And one of the key principles is the principle of uniqueness. And I've said that for years. There's no... Uh, one diet. Every every food has a front and a back. I always say that. And but the thing is, is you know, it's it isn't like you you can't really pick up a book and find your diet. You're going to have to figure out. Uh, you have to learn a lot. I mean, there's so much um, education in a way that has to be you know acquired before you can start to say, well, this is good for me or not. So now we have this whole group of bunch of people eating chocolate and nuts and seeds and almond milk and spinach and so on and. They don't even know they're they're harming their body. Maybe we should sort of start off with some of the most popular foods that people are eating that would be high in oxalates. The ones that have become very fattish are the green smoothie diet and the the large spinach salad diet. So 
it, so it is a fad. It's like the hula hoop. Uh, it came at a particular time. I'm not sure exactly, maybe five or six years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. But that's my impression when these things uh, came on board. But one of the things that encouraged me to write my article was looking and seeing that a, a one of the staple food providers in uh, in the United States, Campbell's Soups, did research 75 years ago, and they put they put rats on a high spinach diet in which spinach was 10 percent of the uh, of the food in the diet. And they found that a high percentage of the rats die, uh, died. They found they could not reproduce. Uh, and they found that their bones and teeth were falling apart by the spinach uh, diet and also similar foods like uh, arugula and uh, other foods that are very high in uh, oxalate. So it was that these foods were extremely toxic. So one of the important things when people start looking at a fad diet is go back and look at the history. We've, you know, we've got a a very large uh, collection of medical and scientific and nutritional information. And even though it's old information 75 years ago, it's still, it's still valid that uh, spinach is the, the, one of the highest oxalate food with a virtual tie with uh, soy, textured soy protein, which was also one of the, the uh, like a fad type of diet where people mm-hmm. were eating bowlfuls of toxic, of, of uh, textured uh, uh, soy protein. And mm-hmm. I, I got into this because the prisoners in Illinois were suing the state because they were feeding them, the prisoners in the state prisons, they were feeding them diets that were made of uh, soy flour, soy turkey, soy beef, soy bread. And, and they were getting terrible medical symptoms by being on this diet. One of the prisoners actually was found to have large stalactites of, of uh, oxalates in the stomach because there were so, so much oxalates in the diet, he couldn't absorb them all. The stomach is the place where most oxalates are absorbed, which is different than most other food items. But if there's a huge amount of these oxalates, the stomach can't do it, and they so they actually accumulate just like those stalactites in a, a cave. They can accumulate and form in the stomach, and of course, that's not going to feel very good if these sharp stalactites run into the uh, walls of your stomach. Yeah, you know, I actually that's coming back to me now. I remember you saying that at one of the um, autism conferences a couple of years ago, where the the prisoners were suing the state, weren't they? Yeah. Did they win? Uh, it's it's just like so many legal things. As far as I know, it's still being contested. A decision hasn't been made. Well, you know, they might be doing it because it lowers testosterone. And in, in prisons, a lot of the men that are there are uh, getting in trouble because they have a high testosterone. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that's true. The biggest thing was money, though. It was, uh, you know, this diet was a lot cheaper than meat is. So meat is double, triple, or quadruple. The companies producing the textured soy protein were given a huge discount to the state in order um, 
to um, in order to uh, get rid of their excess product. Well, you know what comes up for me too is um, soy formulas because so many of the autistic children, when you get a history from them from their mothers, they didn't uh, the moms didn't breastfeed or they didn't produce enough milk or the baby was colicky, so the doctor suggested you know going to a soy formula and and so a lot of them are fed soy. So that's interesting that's right. Too. Yeah. And soy is is not a is not one of the best old alternatives. I mean, it's a very difficult uh, decision to make uh, on formulas if the child is having difficulty with cow's milk, which is one of the most allergenic proteins that there are. Yeah, I um, no goat's milk is tolerated more, and we do probably need to point out to people that milk is not a source of oxalate, nor is meat, you know, so that... That's right. At least that's good to know where oxalates are not found. And arugula salads, like you mentioned in restaurants, I have seen that on so many restaurants lately, Um, a whole salad, you know, with just arugula and some other stuff in it, but so that's popular too. Um, So maybe just I'll go over just some of the places where people can find it and they're going to really wince. Nobody's going to want to hear this, but berries, which everybody loves berries, but um, they are higher in oxalate and so are beets. And um, now it's interesting because I know that kale was tested and kale, if the curly kale is high in oxalates with the, the, you know, the flatter kale, the lacinto kale is Russian kale. It's sometimes called is lower in oxalates, mm-hmm. okra, parsley, leek, squash, Green beans, wax beans, um, tea. You know, lots and lots of people are drinking green tea and black tea because they've read how good it is. All the nuts and seeds like peanuts, cashews, almonds. Well, not all of them. Um, Sunflower and pumpkin are supposed to be a little lower. And um, soy, as you mentioned. But chickpeas are supposed to be lower. Chickpea flour. And then, of course, people are getting a lot of chocolate, cocoa, uh, cacao products, but in our diet for years, I've been recommending quinoa and millet, which are unfortunately seeds, and they are they have a lot of the properties of of grains. So I thought they were really good for the gut, and I still think they are. But you know, I, but um, they are high in, in oxalates. So as I started learning about oxalates years ago, I started um, encouraging people to boil them like like they would a pasta noodles. You know, boil them in water and then pour off that water and be pouring the oxalates down the drain. Um, and I've noticed that they are more tolerated by oxalate sensitive people, which I happen to be one of them at the time. And so, so the big question is, can cooking have an effect on oxalate? Uh, So the cooking in water can be very beneficial because the oxalates are not highly water soluble, which is the reason you develop kidney stones are, are, are so common because of their limited uh, solubility. But by using the very hot water, almost everything is more soluble in hot water compared to cooler water. And so by boiling whatever whatever vegetable you're cooking, you get a, a, a lot better result with uh, a lot of the oxalate being extracted into the hot water but of course, many of the vitamins, you know, so the old idea uh, that drinking the pot liquor was good, it may be good as far as the vitamin content, but it would be very bad as far as the oxalate content. The pot liquor would be uh, very enriched in oxalates. 
When I was growing up, my brother and I used to fight over the, the broccoli pot liquor, you know, that's what we called it in the South. And uh-huh. uh, and, I, and and he usually got it. Unfortunately, my mother definitely favored him for some reason in that department. So, But it's good to know that broccoli is low in oxalate. So it's like one of the favorable green vegetables. I, I've got a list of the better one, better choices and that'll come up. But let's talk a little bit about... Um, the diseases or conditions that are involved when you're when somebody is, um, you know, has too many oxalates in, the, in their diet and are so sensitive, and then then we should probably go into um, the gut, the effect of the gut, and what's happening in the gut to, you know, bind or not bind these oxalates. So could we just list the, you know, some of the key problems someone's going to have yep. if they're sensitive to oxalates? Yeah. So the number one thing is. Uh, that many people know are kidney stones. So something like 90% of kidney stones are due to high, uh, high oxalates in, in the, in the diet. And, and that's an extremely common thing. Probably one in 10 people will have kidney stones at some time in their, uh, lifetime. And unfortunately I myself, uh, you know, just just barely after finishing the article, had a first incidence of oxalate while eating uh, a box of chocolates, which of course is very high in uh, in uh, oxalates. And, and it's so, addictive. So if you start eating it, is, it it's, you it's want to keep eating it. If I was eating chocolate almost every single night, you know. So, oh gosh! Uh, so, and and did you sleep? By the way, did you did you eat the chocolate at night and actually go to sleep? Uh, no, it was unfortunately it was in the movie theater, and all of a sudden I had this terrible pain, and I could it wouldn't go away. So that's one of the things. No matter with you when you have one of these stones, you can't get comfortable. No matter it's sitting, standing, standing on your head, lying down. There's no position you can get. Luckily, I was just able to massage the area. Uh, and and it apparently dislodged the stone, and it just like instantly, uh, the pain disappeared. I was I was in the emergency room waiting for treatment when all I did was massage the area that was was uh, painful, and I guess I uh, dislodged it. But unfortunately, now chocolate is off my uh, list of preferred foods. I don't. I love it too, but I don't eat it for two reasons. Also, I'm sensitive to oxalate, and also, um, I can't eat it at night. Like if I were to eat it at night, I would not sleep all night long. It's just well, I have that genetic SNP one A two that keeps you from clearing it. So, you know, you can't clear caffeine. So, but Mm -hmm. um, what about genetically? Do you think that some of us actually have genetic sensitivity to oxalate? I know there's absolutely, absolutely. So there's. A wide range of there's so there's three major genes that influence the different pathways in the oxalate pathway that are uh, some of the uh, main ones that cause diseases called primary hyperoxaluria's. But there's t- probably tons of people who have the uh, who are heterozygous, meaning they have one good gene and one gene that's less favorable. And those people will be more sensitive to uh, oxalates. Plus there are a lot of other ones that are not in the main pathway, but are on the auxiliary uh, biochemical pathways that also affect 
the ability to uh, uh, rid the body of oxalates. And Great Plains will will have the complete uh, genetic analysis uh, probably uh, in the fall. We'll we'll have all of the uh, SNPs for the entire oxalate. Uh, uh, pathway. That is priceless. I didn't know you were going to add that. And I have actually called researchers in different places in the world or emailed them and they never get back to me asking for information on this. I didn't realize you were the go-to person. <laughs> so that's amazing. And that's, that's a gift to the world. I hope everybody heard that because I do think that there's got to be a genetic component to this for sure because so many people are reacting. But now there's also the gut component. So let's look at that for a little while. Um, if you have leaky gut, if you have, you know, if you take antibiotics or have a disru- high sugar, high fat diet, if you have a disruption of microbes in the, your microbiome, um, let's talk about that for a little while. Let's just kind of run with that topic. Yeah. So if there's, if there's poor digestion, uh, especially of fats, the, 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 if the fats are not digested well, the the, the fats can um, can and are, if the fats are not absorbed, they can bind calcium and magnesium to form what are called soaps, which are exactly the same as the soap you have in your bathroom, uh, but they're being formed in your intestinal tract. And once they've removed, once those those uh, fatty acids have removed the calcium and magnesium. That calcium and magnesium is not available to combine with oxalates so that they precipitate. And so those oxalates are much more likely to be absorbed. So, so anytime you, have, you see any fat in the stool, that's a very bad sign because it means that you're going to be much more susceptible to absorbing any oxalates that are in in the diet. So I'm really um, careful. I think that's actually personally one of my issues is with fats. Actually, I'm positive of that because I've had my genes tested and I'm on that rather large group of people that can't take saturated fats, especially not in high quantities. So, um, you know, I don't digest them either, but my genes don't like them either. But so what I'm really careful about is to take things like um, pancreatin, ox bile, uh, lipase, you know, and which are supplement. We have supplements in Body Ecology, mm. and, and they have pancreatin, lipase, and all. Because I think pe- many people are having issues with with fats to begin with genetically. But then I see out there again as kind of a popular fad in the diet world. Um, a lot of people recommending a high fat diet with butter and cream and. Uh, bacon and lard. And, you know, again, I sort of wince at that thinking, well, some people are okay with that, but a lot of people won't be. So I think this is another important understanding is that the fats bind up calcium and magnesium, especially I always read about the calcium. And then, and then what happens? Let's talk about why calcium and magnesium are so important. Why would you not want calcium to be bound up, you know, by the fat? Yeah. So, so if you're if you're absorbing poorly, they'll they'll just be lost in the in the stool. But the more importantly, they they're not available to react with the oxalic acid. So the oxalic acid is much more likely to be absorbed once if the oxalates react with either calcium and magnesium. They're precipitated out in the GI tract and 
and are eliminated. But if they're not eliminated there, they're going to be absorbed into the body and then form stones in, uh, in different parts of the body. So, so even though people know or commonly know about the role of oxalates as kidney stones, there are many people who have severe oxalate problems but don't have kidney stones. So many people have the oxalates uh, form in other tissues in the body. They can, they can form in the bones. They can form in the, uh, in, in the teeth. They can form in the arteries and, and, and in the brain and the blood-brain barrier. They can make your eye hurt. So people can have these uh, very uh, sharp edge crystals forming inside their eyes. So their eye hurts and they don't understand why. They can have fibromyalgia due to the the oxalates forming in the muscles. And then every time the person moves their muscles, there are these sharp crystals that are like little knives or pieces of broken glass that are just tearing apart their muscle tissue. So a large number of diseases that are kind of uh, that People don't know too much about like fibromyalgia. There's really just a, a very simple uh, cure for them, which is uh, get rid of the oxalates in the diet. And you'll have, in many cases, a significant improvement. Well, we're going to um, talk about some solutions, like what does a person have to do to be able to, um, you know, what's a low oxalate diet and suggestions of foods and also some um, supplements to take later on, but I wanted to ask you too, what about COPD? I read that, vulvodynia. Uh, I don't, I know. Yeah. So vulvodynia, I think it's pretty well established that the oxalate, high concentrations of oxalate precipitated in the vaginal tissue is, is a major cause. And along the oxalate, the association is commonly with candida because it's that my research also indicates that candida produces precursors that are converted uh, to oxalate. So it can take proteins and, uh, and convert uh, certain proteins, uh, certain amino acids and proteins, hydroxyproline and collagen, into oxalates, which then form in the vaginal tissue and cause uh, uh, extreme problems. The... Oxalates can form in the sinuses or in the lungs. So people have been found to have huge, sometimes oxalate crystals the size of golf balls in their lungs if they have a fungal infection. And many fungi produce oxalates as a waste product. Okay, so could we just dwell on this whole connection with candidiasis and um, yeast a little bit longer? Because I know that was a big part of what your article was about, which is why everybody needs to read it. The green smoothie fad, this road to health hell is paved with toxic oxalate crystal. This is by, uh, this is is in the Townsend letter of January 2015. I think it's one of those articles that you can get to, like uh, without having to have a subscription. You can go right to the Townsend letter uh, website and access it directly. So it's very uh, convenient. And in addition, there is also a webinar available on the Great Plains uh, website in one, as one of the archived. Uh, so you have two different choices of material uh, that you can f- uh, follow up with. 
Great, yeah, that's right. And of course, be tested too. So let's talk about the tests that are, I mean, how does Great Plains test people? Yeah, so the Great Plains is one of the few laboratories in the world that includes oxalates in their organic acid profile. The big benefit of the Great Plains test is we test for the oxalate, we test for other uh, we can de- we can detect uh, genetic diseases of oxalate metabolism by looking at the uh, other chemical compounds that are produced when you have the genetic disease. We we have the yeast and fungal markers, which are also associated with high oxalates, and we have the very important factor, which is vitamin B six. So so low amounts of vitamin B six. Are, is one of the uh, main risk factors for developing oxalates. If you have adequate B6, your body is going to produce uh, glycine instead of oxalate. And glycine is much less toxic than, than uh, oxalate. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because it, I was a question I, I've always wanted to ask you. is um, Because um, oxalate is supposed to be uh, a byproduct, really, of glycine, and and I've heard don't take magnesium glycinate or other glycinate, you know, chelated vitamins or minerals, for example, because uh, because glycine produces oxalate. But you're saying with B six, you, I mean, glycine is good. It's one of the key three things and that form glutamine in the body and glutamine, not yes. glutamine, but um, glutathione, glycine. Yeah, and glutathione has got so many critical you know, purposes like from an antioxidant to de- critical for detoxification and on and on and on. I mean, you've got it. So that's why I was always kind of confused about that. Like, is glycine a good thing or a bad thing with the... What it is, is that there is a dynamic equilibrium between an oxalate precursor and glycine. By giving high doses of B6, you shift that equilibrium toward producing glycine rather than uh rather than uh, oxalate and so so glycine would be uh much less uh toxic with uh adequate amounts of uh b6 but glycine is much less uh, toxic than than uh, oxalate is you know it's probably a thousand times less toxic so it it is a good thing but Theoretically, you could buy glycine or high amounts of hydroxyproline um, produce oxalates as well. So even people who are are primarily carnivores can could still make uh, oxalates if they have candida. The candida can convert collagen in the body to oxalates even without any uh, vegetables in, in the diet. So candida converts collagen into oxalate. Now, does that mean that natural collagen found in, say, bone broth or, you know, people are taking um, collagen as a supplement, mm-hmm. which has lots of benefits, uh, especially for healing the gut, like the bone broths are great for healing the gut when people have gut dysbiosis. What is? Are we talking about the same, same yes. issue? Yes, the same, exact same. So everything is a balance. So... If it if you have so if you don't have severe candida, it may have there may not be any problem at all because that pathway won't be activated. It's only if you have 
um, the uh, severe candida that that's going to happen. But there's but some of it is going to happen even if you don't have any candida. So this whole thing is is uh, gets back to balance for your particular situation. There may be situations where this food is is great for you uh, if you need the intestinal healing and so forth. Well, okay, so on body ecology, you know, we have the fermented foods and they're loaded with beneficial bacteria, particularly the way I have people make them. Um, recently I had our fer- a batch of fermented vegetables tested without a starter culture and then with our starter culture, which has lactobacillus plantarum. So it's very high in lactobacillus. Um, the difference was 160 count for billion versus 570. The starter had way more bacteria in it. Uh, and I know that lactobacillus is a good oxalate eater. And so I think that's why, you know, for me, I've always benefited from fermented foods. And I think a huge number of people are, you know, tens of thousands of people are on the diet around the world. And uh, so this part, to me, that's part of the solution, fermented foods. But what are some of the other, what, what, should a person be doing a, a more low oxalate diet in the mm-hmm. beginning, especially? And then uh, I know you recommend nystatin for controlling yeast. I I always have mixed feelings about nystatin because some people are fine with it, um, to, but it doesn't seem to actually get rid of the problem. So that alone isn't a solution. Diet's critical, you know, not uh, a diet that's sugar-free, gluten-free, um, and initially, we, we don't have casein either because usually people have gut problems. Um, and so, you know, like that's why I think body ecology has always been a good diet for this. But the addition of fermented foods. But then there's some key supplements, too, that are, yeah. are important, uh, right? Probiotics, you know, of course, are, are very beneficial. Or the fermented food, which is another source of uh, probiotics. So probiotics are are key, They uh, you know, and uh, uh, factors that that frequently lead to candida are the use of oral antibiotics and the um, the use of uh, cortisone. So cortisone used to control inflammation depresses the immune system, so candida proliferates in, uh, in that environment. So those are, uh, so the person who's using cortisol for inflammation uh, for allergy treatment and so forth can can have severe problems with uh, candida. And I always recommend if the candida is not severe, try just using diet and probiotics. But I found that it doesn't work for some people. Some people have such severe uh, colonizations that they, they require uh, a... Uh, a either a natural or a pharmaceutical uh, antifungal. So that would be nystatin for pharmaceutical and oil of oregano. And what, 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 would some, what are some of the ones you recommend? There, there's just a whole array. So, for example, coconut oil is an excellent uh, uh, ant, antifungal. Uh, garlic, uh, you mentioned oil of oregano, and uh, tea tree oil, uh, the uh, the the one that's in oh the uh, al- aloe vera is a uh, anti antifungal. But I want to emphasize: don't don't try to swallow your the kind that you put on your on your skin that has the blue dye in it. So 
uh, which some people actually tried to do. I, I shouldn't have to bring up something like that, but I do. Uh, that it needs to be a specific product that's intended for oral use. Do not use these lotions as a source of aloe vera. You know, one of my favorite um, supplements is good old-fashioned kyolic garlic. I know that kyolic, you know, there's so much research on that. And it um, controls acetaldehyde, which is another substance that the yeast are producing serious in huge amounts. Um, and it, I bet, you know, I bet it would, It'd be interesting to see if they've got any studies on it controlling the oxalate because it's certainly can, helping to control the candidiasis. Yeah, so if it controls candida, it will probably help with the uh, mm-hmm. with the oxalates. Yes. Well, just um, I kind of want to make sure people understand that that it, how this starts. Okay, so I know that there's a particular bacteria that forms in our gut around the time we start crawling, and that's that bacteria is called Oxalobacter formigenes, and it disappears in a lot of people. And can we talk about this particular bacteria? Um, it's it's. Um, I mean, is it? Do you, do you test for that, or just? Um... We we don't we 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 don't test for that uh, particular uh, bacteria. But but the situation is now. I mean, since it's not available. I, I don't know that a test for it would be would be helpful mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. since it's well, not available as a supplement. Well, the um, Oxalobacter formigenes only eats oxalates. That's his only job. And so um, there are other bacteria, though, that will sort of take over. That's nature, good old nature, always coming in there and helping us survive no matter what we do to ourselves. Um, can you talk about some of the other bacteria? Because I, I know lactobacillus have a study on, on their very powerful oxalate eaters. Yeah, so they so a large number of the lactobacilli also have the enzymes uh, that would be called uh, ox, oxalase, meaning they're enzymes that break down uh, ox, oxalates. And I, I want to make sure that we also cover uh, external sources and one of the big external sources is uh, too much vitamin C. So, so a number of studies have shown that if you if you're taking 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day or less, that it does not ex- it does not increase oxalates uh, any significant amount. On the other hand, there are other studies that show in some people even lower amounts in, will increase oxalates. So if you have a problem, it's something to look at. But especially for those people who are taking in huge amounts, by huge amounts, I mean 50,000 or 100,000 milligrams of uh, vitamin C. And this could incur in people who, you know, for people getting uh, cancer uh, therapy or uh, IV, you mean IV? IV yeah, mm-hmm. the the high doses IV. That's something to look at. I am aware of cases where the person did have a significant uh, kidney failure after these super high doses. So it doesn't happen all the time. If it happened all the time, the physicians who use these as a regular treatment wouldn't be doing it. But it does happen occasionally, and in my mind, that people doing these. Uh, infusions with the super high doses of vitamin C should be checking 
uh, for oxalates and giving uh, and, and giving uh, uh, things like magnesium along with it and giving high amounts of vitamin B6 to prevent that and also double checking on the person after these infusions to make sure there's uh, they're not having problems with the uh, formation of these crystals. One of the things that I always recommend too is when you one of the benefits of eating fermented, you know, cabbage, uh, cultured vegetables like we make is that cabbage is a good source, a really good source of vitamin C. But when you ferment it, you increase that bioavailability of that vitamin C. So a lot of vitamin C can actually be obtained from the diet. And that might be, you know, adequate for someone with a healthy gut. Well, um, can you, okay, so let's kind of paint a picture of the whole way this forms. Because um, I know it's a complicated subject and you know, it takes a while to get your, your head around it. So the um, bacteria, Oxalobacter formigenes is in our gut when we start to crawl. And that's a protective, that allows us to eat the vegetables that are usually so healthy for us. And and there are so many of these healthy vegetables that have some, uh, maybe they all have some oxalate in them. So plant foods are really valuable for us to eat. We start eating them early in our life. They're great, you know, pureed and soups and so on are really great for babies uh, in the beginning when they're starting to, you know, go from milk to food. Why do you think nature puts all these oxalates in the food that are so good for us? Uh, two reasons. Uh, uh, number one is the oxalates serve as kind of a, a skeleton uh, for the uh, plant. So it is uh, equivalent to our bones, you could think. In addition, the very high doses, I'm convinced, are a protective mechanism. It's The plants are producing these as anti-animal uh, chemicals to prevent animals from eating them. Before, for example, the plant dumb cane was so named because if a person ate this leaf, the oxalate crystals would uh, would lodge in the larynx and keep the person from uh, speaking. So these these uh, plants that are especially high in oxalates are uh, going to cause uh, discomfort and. And perhaps even death. It's it's actually estimated that the the, the amount of oxalates in a uh, in a typical green smoothie uh, are enough to actually be fatal if they were all uh, absorbed. So the oxalates have the two functions: protective uh, against animals eating them, and also serving as a kind of a skeleton, plant skeleton. Okay, so here they are you know, in this important foods. And of course, I know insects, um, I've read that the insects won't eat the plants. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have any to eat because they find those little crystals uh, tear up their mouth. So they, that's why we have plants still. But then there, nature begins to set this inner ecosystem or this microbiome into place that allows us to eat the oxalates, right? I mean, I mean, stay away from the really high ones like chocolate and spinach and soy and so on and um and eat uh, low and medium oxalate foods in small quantities like that not a whole lot in one day but kind of spread it out um see, that's what i always say in body ecology we don't count calories but we do count oxalate but um so we've got this microbiome forming inside of us with a uh, oxalobacter formigenes and then 
and these other bacteria. Um, and then we wipe it out with an antibiotic. And then people today have so many gut problems. We did the Gut Summit, the Healthy Gut Summit. We had over 80,000 people listening to the interviews. And obviously, that's a sign that a lot of people are concerned about their gut health. Um, can you just, so, so where does, now where does gut health, just sort of as a summary of everything, like why is poor gut health playing a role in this sensitivity to oxalate? I, it, it's just as you said. I mean, you're, the antibiotics are, are wiping out the the beneficial bacteria that that uh, digest the oxalates, and and some of this may come back. But one of the factors is we become very clean. So by being very clean, we lose some of the ability to replenish our intestinal flora with with uh, some of the beneficial bacteria, whereas little kids uh, crawling along around the floor are probably picking up a lot of uh, diverse flora. As we get older, we're taught that it's uh, it's a good idea to wash your hands all the time and to uh, clean the clean, wash your vegetables before eating them and things like that. But, and there, but there's probably some downside to that. We probably had a lot of benefits by uh, consuming the, the flora that, that were uh, contaminating our, our food, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I think that, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if the whole, uh, this serious, so many, it'd be interesting to see if the uh, introduction to antibiotics really was a big change for man when we, that's when we really became sensitive to oxalate, maybe before, even with the genetic, you know, machinery for sensitivity to oxalate, it was this wiping out the gut microbiome that really is making so many of us super sensitive. And so, um, okay, and so then we come along and um, I want to I don't want to leave everybody really confused, so I'd like to end with um, some solutions for them. But, you know, there's a something that, as people are becoming more and more educated, and I, I really have to commend people today because there's this vast number of people who are highly educated about health, and they know as much or more than some of their doctors do. And, you know, so methylation, looking at that methylation connection, or the cycle in the body. And for the people that don't know, it's a very, very important cycle. Like ATP energy production is a cycle in the body. Well, methylation is a cycle that has to do with, uh, well, if it's affecting 23,000 genes and it has to do with being able to to detoxify and make glutathione and have a strong immune system and, you know, produce energy. And it has a lot to do with our neurotransmitters and whether we're depressed or, um, you know, antioxidants, inflammation, all that is very much connected to the methylation cycle that we have in our body. And a lot of people are, are getting their genes tested. You know, they find out that they have a an issue with the MTHFR gene, and so that's what methylation is. Now, my question, Dr. Shaw, is: Is there a connection between methylation and oxalate for those people that are more sophisticated here? Uh, not to my knowledge, but by the way, Great Plains Laboratory also offers the uh, the DNA methylation panel now, but our, our new panel, as I mentioned, will be much more expanded to include all the uh, oxalate-related genes. But as you know, I, I, I think there's not a 
a big direct connection, but you know every pathway is connected by some uh, by some connection into some degree. I just don't I don't see it as a, a major uh, connection at this time. When we eat the foods high in oxalate, they get into the stool or they get into the um, intestines. And their bacteria is supposed to eat them. And, and then calcium in the diet is supposed to um, grab hold, bind basically the oxalate and hold on to it so it stays in the stool so it doesn't get up into the body and out into the bloodstream where it's going to cause problems, particularly in the kidney and everywhere else you mentioned. And then um, a high-fat diet is going to bind the calcium so the calcium won't bind the oxalate. And um, so, so avoiding a high-fat diet is important. Using digestive enzymes is important. Calcium citrate, so that you have more calcium to bind the oxalate. Magnesium citrate as well. Um, fermented foods, I mean, that's usually what I do. And then, and then, you know, recommend that people avoid the high oxalate food. Um, is there anything else you'd add to that? The 100 milligrams of uh, B6, uh, vitamin B6 on it, on a daily basis, it's extremely safe. There's virtually no incidence of any kind of side effects at that particular at that particular dose. A a nice study was done that found that people who consumed 100 milligrams a day of B6 lived on average about eight years longer than people who did not consume uh, that amount. So it's a very safe, healthy amount that's good for cardiovascular disease and oxalates, and it's possible that the cardiovascular benefit is due to diminishing oxalates because oxalates have been found in the atherosclerotic lesions. So it may be that cholesterol is really not the number one uh, cause of, of cardiovascular disease. It may be cholesterol comes into damaged arteries that were damaged by the these uh, sharp oxalate crystals uh, messing up the structure of the uh, artery walls. Mm, wow, and that includes the brain too. So that's really important. I, I have to agree with you. I'm on the same page that um, there's a lot of things that we're misdiagnosing because people are just not willing to look at this oxalate issue. And so part of this is because of the over-specialization in medicine. I'm convinced this is the reason that, you know, you have the kidney doctor, the nephrologist is virtually the only physician who ever orders an oxalate test, uh, except for those people who listen to my seminars. Uh, they realize that, that the scope of oxalate disease is much higher and that there's many people who die in an autopsy, they're found that they had oxalates in all their tissue, but none in their kidneys or urinary tract. All the oxalates were in the arteries or the thyroid gland or in the brain or the liver, organs like that, but none in the uh, urinary tract. Well, I've also um, heard you recommend, and I think you pointed this out in the article, uh, that drinking water is important too. Absolutely, because oxalates are not very soluble in water, so you need to drink lots of water in order to keep them 
uh, keep them coming out because the, the the water in your body can only can only dissolve a limited amount. So you have to keep on introducing more water. And the American South are much more likely for people there to have kidney stones compared to the North just because it's hotter and they get dehydrated easier. Mm. And, you know, I grew up in the South, and I will tell you that when we ate vegetables, when we cooked them, we cooked them for a long time. But the thing is, we always put fat back in them. And that was the fat that would have probably bound the calcium that would have been in this. Like the dark green leafy vegetables are um, like like kale, for example, and broccoli and so on. They're high in um, in calcium, but then we put the fat in there to bind the calcium. So that was probably not too smart either. Lots of things <laughs> were done wrong in those days, unfortunately. So drinking plenty of water, using digestive enzymes like pancreatin and lipase and ox bile, and uh, control, getting the candidiasis in your body, that infection under control is critical. And uh, being on it mindful of oxalates. Now, here's one confusing thing. There is a lot of mis... Um, like you go online and you look in this site and they say that, you know, broccoli is high or kale is high. And then you go to another site and they say, no, no, it's okay, it's low. So that, that to me is the hardest part of this of all, is the finding a chart where people are really accurately testing... Um, you know, are getting the the vegetables uh, down right, and so again, I, I know that kale, if it's curly, is high. If it's um, the flat kale or the lucinto kale, it's low. And oxalates, broccoli is low, and those are also good sources of calcium to have in the in the diet as well. Do you want to say anything else about actually the accuracy about these vegetables, uh, which ones are high and which ones are low? Because that's been the most frustrating thing for me. Well, there will be differences just based on the soil. The, you know, the, the type of the genetic, uh, you know, the plant genes, each, each one may have, may, may be uh, different, depends on the soil type. It probably depends on the microorganisms in the soil. One thing I want to specify, though, is just because berries are high in oxalate doesn't mean you can never eat a berry. So it is the serving size that is the most important thing. Spinach salads were a big problem as far as causing kidney stones because people were eating giant platefuls of these things. And, and you know, it's so if you're eating a small portion, that's completely different. For example, black pepper is on the list of high oxalate foods, but people are just sprinkling a few grains. So just because black pepper is high in oxalates, you're not eating bowlfuls of black pepper. So portion and serving size are the most important uh, things. So so from my point of view, the spinach or arugula salad were bad because they were giant serving sizes were being used. If you're using a modest serving size, that's going to have minimal uh, impact. So just remember that, that you can't go just by the amount of oxalate per gram of whatever uh, is being evaluated. You need to go by what the average serving size is of the uh, thing you're eating. Good. I'm really glad you made that point. Um, I have a, my barometer when I know if I get oxalate, is too much oxalate is um, 
my just like you said, eye pain. My left eye hurts so much, and and at night when I'm sleeping, it just really hurts. That's how I've discovered. I thought, what is going on with my eye? Is it because I'm staring into the computers, you know, so much? And then I went on a trip, and uh, like I have to travel, and there was nothing to eat. But I did eat some spinach, and I did eat um, what did I, some nuts and seeds, and then I also ate a little piece of chocolate because I had to get up and lecture after getting off an airplane. And, you know, it makes your mind more alert and. I came back and my eye was killing me and I had this pain in my little, like a pain in my knee. And I thought, what in the heck am I doing? I think I even had sweet potato. And I, and I just right away, I thought, oh, no wonder you're eating all these kind of oxides. So I That's really... That's exactly what was causing that um, problem. And there are many of the kids with autism, there have been uh, about uh, uh, several dozen cases in which the children actually pulled their eyes out of their head because they had such the amount of oxalates that were depositing in their eye were making their eyes so painful they preferred pulling their eyes out rather than uh, tolerating the extreme pain they were uh, feeling. And, And this is a big problem, especially a lot of the families put their kids on the milk-free diet without replacing calcium. And so if there's not adequate calcium, the oxalates will build up in tremendous uh, quantities, deposit in the eye, and cause and cause severe uh, eye pain. And, uh, and many of the children, if they're verbal, they will say that, my eye hurts so bad, I don't understand why. And the parent doesn't have any idea what it is, and that's by far the most common thing. It's a low calcium, uh, low calcium but high oxalate diet. And so, the probably the best way to summarize it here is that the really high oxalate foods that we know are high, like chocolate, spinach, beets, nuts and seeds, are huge. The people are, you know, almond milk and the smoothie, as you said in your article, you know, they're. Parsley is pretty high, too, and um, not as high as spinach. I mean, spinach is, like, off the chart, where parsley would be a, considered a 100 um, oxalate con- content per gram. Spinach is 750, so it's a big difference. But it's, the, it's that they're doing it every day, and they're doing it without knowing uh, that they put a lot of things in that one smoothie that's high, and they're starting their day that way. So maybe that's the takeaway here. Uh, are there any other oh, drinking plenty of water is important, as you said. What about taurine as a supplement? I love taurine, by the way. It's one of my favorite supplements. Uh-huh. I, I've, I've found so many people benefit and autistic children do and all too. Is is there a connection between taurine and uh Yeah, there, there, may be, there may be. So the taurine is important for the formation of bile salts. And bile salts mm, are needed right. for, for good fat absorption. So that's what you want. If fat is not absorbed, then it can it can take away the uh, calcium. So it it aids. So one of the uh, a big thing is it aids in in uh, fat absorption. The other important thing is it helps to kill candida. So taurine reacts with with uh, hypochlorite to form a taurine hypochlorite complex. That is used by the body to kill candida. So, two two different functions that might help in in uh, in fighting the the problem with the oxalates. 
Well, it's so wonderful to talk to somebody that has your background, your biochemical background. Usually people, you know, we go through the bio in the beginning, but would you just tell people about your history? Like, how did you get from into this to begin with to where you are today? Yeah, so so I started out with with uh, high goals. So, I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I decided what my life's work was going to be was being able to, using chemical testing, using the mass spectrometer, to to be able to test every single chemical compound that was in body fluids and then be able to uh, to be able to test it and then by knowing what it was and able to treat it so so to some degree I've accomplished that I still have obviously research has a long way to go but to a large extent you know I that was my path of what I wanted to do and it started working on that project, you know, very early in my, uh, in my uh, career at CDC is when I first started testing organic acids. And actually, it was where I got some of the great ideas from the other researchers there who were uh, trying to test bacteria and determine the bacteria using mass spectrometry. And I remember asking at that time, why test the bacteria? Why not just look for the metabolites of the bacteria in the body fluids instead? And, and the response was, well, it was too difficult. Or, uh, and, uh, but that stuck with me and, and became one of my goals was to be able to evaluate the uh, urine and from a urine sample, be able to know what's going on in the intestinal tract. So that so that uh, early desire of mine, I had the luck that not too many people do of having your your uh, life stream fulfilled. And also the very fact that the very that the first intention you had really was to help people, and I think that's beautiful. I also think it's the secret to happiness in life and to becoming healthy. Yes, I think you're right. So uh, of everything that's been like the most satisfying thing is is hearing from people on the phone whose health has been dramatically improved uh, by information or testing that, you know, that our company has been able to provide. So that's, that's by far the most fulfilling thing uh, in my entire career. Well, and that you just said something important too, is like so many people are out there guessing, you know, they tried this and it doesn't work and that and they don't put everything together that they need and really, one of the things I learned as I went through my A4M, you know, fellowship is that you've got to test with hormones. You've got to test. You can't just guess. And so how do people get this test? It, it's it's very simple. They can just uh, order from the uh, website, uh, and the website is gpl4u.com. The GPL, the acronym for Great Plains Laboratory, the number for the letter U. So gpl4u.com. Uh, you can order the testing. In the United States, you need you do need a healthcare practitioner. Outside the United States, you don't. But in the United States, the healthcare care practitioner could be a nurse, nurse practitioner, chiropractor, osteopath, uh, MD, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so uh, you can get anyone uh, any healthcare practitioner to 
uh, sign the test for you, and and uh, uh, insurance coverage is included for many, but not all, uh, different insurance coverages. So it is uh, uh, very valuable, and it's just a wealth of information, and we're always adding uh, new information to the testing. So uh, as a matter of fact, we... I used information from one of my colleagues at CDC uh, in from my early 20s, just used some of that information uh, to enhance the uh, value. So uh, it's really nice when you're able to use all the information in your entire career and put it all to uh, and put it all to use in a practical thing to help people. Well, you know. Today, there's so many people struggling with thyroid problems, hypothyroid, but the statistics seem to indicate that about 80% of women with a thyroid problem have Hashimoto's. And so do you, have you been able to stumble across any information about oxalate in the thyroid? Yes. Yeah, so there's quite, quite a lot of information. So uh, studies have been done at, uh, on, on looking at uh, autopsy material where they they look specifically at the amount of oxalate uh, deposited, and they found it was, it was completely age related. So it's just it it goes along with the idea that aging may not be that the body isn't functioning well, but just that it's accumulating too much junk. Um, it's just a matter of time. And if you prevent that, that, that can be a significant anti-aging approach, which is eliminate the, the junk that's building up in the tissues. And oxalate is one of those major factors. 85% uh, of individuals 70 or over had significant deposits of oxalate uh, in their thyroid gland. And what they found is that the active areas of the thyroid uh, gland that are making the hormone are disrupted and it's proportional to the amount of oxalate deposit. So oxalate prevents the, the uh, thyroid gland from making uh, adequate amounts of uh, thyroid uh, hormone. So it was a you know, really exciting piece of information and then recent articles have found numbers of individuals who who don't have kidney stones. They don't have oxalates in their urinary tract, but they ha may have them in many of the other tissues, including the uh, thyroid gland. So it appears to me that this could be a, a really a, a a major uh, discovery uh, in in. Uh, finding out why so many people have thyroid problems. And it, it really looks as if the, the oxalate can be, uh, high amounts of oxalate can be a significant factor. I wonder if that would even have anything to do with the eye pain, because I know that there is a lot of, not a lot, but there's thyroid tissue behind the eye, which very few people know about, and perhaps... It's the same tissue that's being attacked that's causing the eye pain too. But then you're, you're saying they also found 
crystals in the eye itself. Yeah, they're ring crystals in in the eye itself, and and it becomes a very important uh, factor in in uh, children with autism who more than in more than twenty cases that the children actually plucked their own eyes out because the pain was uh, so severe, and it's associated with problems with individuals who are not getting enough calcium uh, in the diet. And then, you know, again, getting back to the whole issue that we talked about earlier about candidiasis, I know that the yeast make, you know, they're producing all these toxins. Over 79 different toxins have been identified, and one of those is acetaldehyde. So that is also interfering with thyroid uh, I know that it prevents T4 from turning into T3, the active form of thyroid hormone. So uh, that's going to tremendously cut down on a person's energy and, and contribute to a thyroid problem too. So there we have the yeast issue. And can you see a relationship between the fact that the yeast produce the oxalate and the, and maybe that's how it's getting into the thyroid? Yeah. So the, the yeast producing the oxalate is one factor and the yeast also induce autoimmunity in uh, a number of people. And and that's another factor uh, leading to thyroid problems, the development of uh, autoantibodies in in individuals with uh, thyroid problems may be triggered by candida and and autoimmunity in which some of the candida proteins resemble uh, human cells. So that's, that's proven, Vajani did that work oh probably 20 years ago uh confirming that uh uh autoimmunity to almost all human tissues occurs with people with uh severe uh candida problems wow and then what about the receptor sites being blocked is there have you come across any information where maybe the oxalates are contributing to blocking the receptor sites say for for T3 or for anything vitamin D or anything uh, I didn't see I didn't see that specifically, but I I don't doubt that that is a uh, is a possibility. One of the big things I would think is 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 due to the fact that uh, oxalates combine uh, all of the metals, the toxic metals as well as the essential metals, and and metals are uh, cofactors needed for the production of of um, many of the thyroid hormones. So that can be another way in which oxalates uh, contribute to the development of hypothyroidism. And of course, the situation now is you have so many women thinking that these uh, large doses of spinach in the in the uh, spinach salads yeah. and, and chocolate mm-hmm. and the green smoothies and all of these things are, are just absolutely uh, loaded with oxalates and and so could be a a contributing factor to the uh, high amounts of hypothyroidism that exist. Thank you so much, Dr. Shaw, for the work you do all the time and for particularly bringing this to the forefront. It's so critical. I think people get that now. And so I want to just encourage everybody to... um, Continue to educate yourself. If it seems a little overwhelming and complicated, everything is when it's new. But you just stick with it. Keep reading everything you can. Go to the Great Plains Laboratory and 
you know, down, listen to the webinar, download the article about the green smoothie fad and, um, you know, go and talk to your doctor because what are, one of the phenomenal things that's happening right now is that people are taking information to their doctor and the doctors are learning that way. And there's really an extraordinary revolution going on in healthcare because patients are driving it. People are driving it. So thank you so much, Dr. Shaw. This has been a priceless interview. Well, thank you very much, Don. I really enjoyed it. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today on Body Ecology Living. If you enjoyed or got things out of this or even have questions, go ahead and post them on Facebook. Leave a comment, please, and tell me what you'd like to learn about next. Most of all, have a great day.